Once again, I would direct your attention to Peter's first epistle, 1 Peter, 5th chapter. As you turn there, or scroll there, as the case may be, I want to take a moment of personal privilege. Thank you, all of you, for your prayers this past week, especially as I officiated for Craig Bowen's service on Friday. I am thankful for all your encouragement. The service went very well. Uh, we saw a lot of old friends, um, some 40-year friends, and it was an encouraging day, though a difficult one. And I, it intrigues me the Lord's timing, for as I laid to rest one of the most faithful shepherds I have ever been privileged to know, to have in mind this text for today. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of our great God. Let's pray. Father, grant to us now that which we so desperately need. We need to hear this, your word. May the word be attended by the power of your spirit. May the preaching be more than merely the words of a man. But may the word of God come forth. Bring us to repentance. Bring us to faith. Encourage us. Exhort us. Do your work, we pray in Christ's name. I've thought a lot about pastoring over the course of my life. I've done this about 45 years, give or take, to this point. And the text here has been both a comfort and a challenge. The work can be discouraging. When I've started feeling depressed or discouraged, I've learned things to help me along the way, one of which is I'll pull out... Uh, Spurgeon's lectures to my students and read his lecture called The Minister's Fainting Fits, which is a lovely Victorian way of talking about ministerial depression. I also have another little book that I read just about every year by a pastor named Dave Hansen. Dave wrote a book, The Art of Pastoring, subtitled Ministry Without All the Answers. That got my attention because everybody else seems to think they have all the answers. He shares this story. He's talking about his first pastorate. My face sinks into my hands, but the desk is too cold for my elbows. The space heater, with its cloth-covered cord, has warmed the air. My breath doesn't show, 
but the steel desk warms excruciatingly slowly. It's freezing me. I'm too cold to read a book. My office is a lean-to attachment to the fellowship hall of a community church in rural Montana. There's no wall heater, no thermostat, no insulation. The place warms from scratch every morning. It's six weeks into the new year, six weeks into my first pastoral charge, 33 degrees outside and sleeting. It's sleeting in my soul. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I've been called, educated, interned, and ordained. I have learned lists of tasks to do, but not what I am to be. I'm cold and afraid. There are a hundred things I could do if I could just stop shivering. In the spring, skunks seek secluded dens to make skunk love and raise skunklings. Our fellowship hall, with its crumbling stone foundation, extends a warm invitation to them. Its gaping holes say more than words ever could, we welcome you to this church. We are a family church. We attempt to provide what young couples are looking for, and we've never met a family's needs better than we've met the skunks. A healthy Montana skunk smells like a burning tire. The acrid odors wafting through my office in springtime make me appreciate the pure 33-degree air I inhale in the winter. While conjugating a Greek verb, I hear gnawing from the crawl space. I stomp. The noise stops. I return to the Greek, and the noise resumes. After a couple of years, the space heater broke. Kicked over too many times, I guess. And I did get a wall heater, but the floor never collapsed, so the foundation was never fixed, and the skunk stayed. I put up with the situation because it showed me that while I serve the church, I do not work for the church. I never wanted to become their employee, and I never did. What I became was their pastor. And we can laugh about that story, and well, we should. Sometimes the relationships between shepherds pastors, elders, and churches they serve can be humorous. They can also be tragic. But you see, the church, God's flock, needs shepherds. The church needs this office, these flawed fellow sheep who also serve in this capacity. See, both pastors and churches far too often misunderstand the nature of the pastor's calling and character. The Lord Jesus expects his church to have qualified leadership. That's part of his plan, part of his purpose. I know some of you are saying, great, he's going to talk to the elders I can take a nap. I can check out. Well, not really. Oh, I suppose you can. But my friend, it is a mutual obligation and duty 
between the elders, the shepherds, the overseers, and the flock to work together, to have an understanding about one another, to better learn how to relate to one another, how to pray for one another, and how to do this thing well. First, I'd point this out. Leaders are supposed to be encouraged by this apostle. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. The first thing that stands out here is there's a necessity for elders. See the intensity of the statement. I exhort the elders among you. And the text begins with a so that could be translated a therefore. He's actually looking back to the fourth chapter. Remember, when Peter writes this, there's no chapters. There's no verses. It's just a continuous letter. But he remembers what he said in the fourth chapter. And in the fourth, at verse 17, he will say, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? A time of testing, of purging, of suffering is about to come upon these churches in what is present-day Asia Minor. And that suffering, that chastening will be for their good and for God's glory, but it's still going to be the real deal. It is still going to be suffering. So how are we to be prepared? Part of that preparation is to have in place shepherds, caregivers for the flock. The Old Testament is filled with words of condemnation for those leaders who don't do their job. Jeremiah 10, 21, just one example. For the shepherds are stupid. I read that and I cringe. For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they've not prospered and all their flock is scattered. There is an importance in this for Peter to single out this group and say to elders, as a fellow elder, hear this. Further, I point out there's a plural there, and you can argue, say, well, of course, he's writing multiple churches in uh, Asia Minor. And yet we find the term is plural most other places as well. In Acts chapter 20, whenever Paul summons the elders from plural, from the church singular, at Mile to Miletus from Ephesus, there's an indication of a multiplicity of leaders. You'll also notice that all three terms are used here. It's one of the few texts that contains all three terms used for these kinds of leaders. Elder is a general term. Shepherd has to do with care and feeding. It's the same word that we use, pastor. Overseer has to do with oversight and care. It's funny-sounding word that came over into English. The Greek words episkopos came over as episcopal in English. Now, we've had the privilege here at Boulevard of having elders, a plurality of elders, for some five years. Later this year, we'll have another elder nomination process as another elder rotates off. This has been good. I will say this publicly and as plainly as I can say it to you. This has been good for my soul. 
and I believe it is good for this church, and I think those of you that have paid attention have recognized the good that it has done. There's a plurality given this. Now, let me make a little quick aside. This, again, is a free one, right? We at times here at Boulevard will refer to those of us on staff as pastor and everybody else as elders. But let me clarify something for you. Biblically, it's all the same thing. Pastors are elders, are overseers. You can put an equal sign in between all of those. It's all the same office. And in that plurality and in that necessity, here is the apostolic connection. Peter calls himself a fellow elder. Now, I read that and I say, now, Peter, wait a minute, but come on. You're an apostle. Don't, don't step away from that. He doesn't. But Simon Peter recognized in the labor of being an apostle for the sake of the church, he's also doing a function of eldership. The apostles were, if you will, the ultimate beginning of church planting. These are the guys who go to new places and bring the gospel to those places. But they're also the first shepherds, pastors of congregations. As the church is founded, they work in that church to establish them as best they can. They appoint others in the office of elders. They don't make new apostles. Let me make this clear. In the sense of the twelve, there's only been twelve. Judas, gone, Paul, another. There are no apostles in that sense. Witnesses of the resurrection who heard Jesus personally teach and are selected by Christ. That office is gone. There is a smaller office, if you will, another distinct use of the word apostle that is likely more in terms of what we think of as missionaries or church planters. But Peter is unashamed to call himself a fellow elder. He wants the elders of the church to know he is one as well, that he has seen suffering. He sees their suffering, the suffering of the church, and he is saying to them, don't be surprised by that, because I am a witness of Christ's suffering. And so when you suffer, this is nothing new. This is part of serving the church well. And even points to that hope. What, an, what a wonderful apostolic encouragement. Second thing. These leaders are not only encouraged by the apostle, they're to be engaged in the work. Verses 2 and 3. Now, the terminology of shepherd and overseer tells us something. Shepherds take care of sheep. I know that's very profound. Be calm. I know that's a thrilling insight for you. Sheep need to be fed. Part of the shepherd's task is to find food for the sheep. Now, in ancient Israel, that could be quite the task. We far too often... When we see the 23rd Psalm and somebody does a lovely photo montage or there's a video 
of the shepherd leading. And we, somewhere they have found these beautiful green mountain pastures and a lovely little waterfall trickling down. The kind of place you want to build a cabin, right? That ain't what it looked like in Israel. Green pastures would qualify as an absolute burnt-over area for most of us in our experience in America. Green pasture didn't mean this rolling, lush Bermuda grass rolling out or fescue pastures. It meant there was enough green the sheep could eat. And the shepherd would lead them to that food. It was laborious. That's the only point I'm making. A shepherd would not only get his sheep someplace to eat, he would be looking ahead to the next place that he would take them for pasture. Shepherds are to feed the sheep. Now I will say this, that's as far as that comparison goes, because it's never in my mind that this is anything except lush and green and gorgeous is the Word of God and good food. But part of the task of the shepherd is to feed the sheep. They need to be fed. Second thing, sheep need to be protected. Sheep have no natural defense mechanisms. Paul warns those Ephesian elders, Acts chapter 20, I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. So there's dangers from the outside, there's dangers from the inside. There are times that our task as elders, as shepherds, is to warn you about the evils around you, the dangers that are around you. Now, the problem here, folks, is we, we swim in this culture and we don't necessarily recognize the toxic nature of the culture around us. We imbibe deeply and thoughtlessly and make assumptions about it. The first time I saw this so very clearly, I think I've shared with you, I was trying to teach a group of youth at a weekend youth retreat at a Methodist church in my hometown. And I was probably the ripe old age of 17, maybe 18 myself. And I was trying to teach these young people who were just a few years younger than me, and I was... I was really dissatisfied with the teaching material because I didn't realize at that time how liberal that many Methodists had become. And I didn't have a name for it, but it just seemed like really thin gruel. So I was trying to show them from the Word of God what I thought was really the depth and the importance of the thing. And I was teaching, and one of them said, and several piped in, well, why should we care what the Bible says? I, I, at that time, I didn't know the word. Today, I know. I was apoplectic. I was absolutely dumbfounded. It's the Word of God. They didn't believe that. We need to be fed and we need to be warned. They had bought into the culture around them. We need protection. The other thing is, sheep sometimes get in trouble. I've said it before, I say it again. When the Bible says we're sheep, it is not being complimentary. It is not being cute. This is not a precious moment's setting. Sheep are dumb. 
They get in bad places. They do silly things, sometimes to their own hurt and destruction. They need a shepherd. They need people to care for them. Sheep don't always get along. Now, shepherds know sheep need one another. And I think this is so essential, folks, because the office, I will, I will not for a moment give an inch on what it means to be a shepherd, a pastor, an elder. Because giving up on that has been to the destruction and damnation, I think, of far too many in the church in America. Remember here Mark Dever talk about the imagery from Luke 15 of the, the fellow that has the 99 sheep. He's got 100, but he's got a 99 and he's got them home. And he goes looking for the one. And he points out, he says, do you understand how contradictory that is to the current view? He said the current view is, well, you've got 99. Don't go looking for that one. Hope that 10 more show up next week and then you've got 109. That's a gain. That's the mindset. That is not the mindset of a shepherd. The shepherd cares for each sheep. The shepherd seeks the sheep. Shepherds oversee. They care for the flock of God. And that is another essential. The local church doesn't belong to any elder, any leader. It is God's flock. It doesn't belong to the longest-term member. It is God's flock. This flock was here before I showed up. Lord willing, it will still be here long after I'm gone. I have a stewardship. The elders here, we have a stewardship that is about this time for us. But when a church becomes nothing more than the reflection of one person, it is no longer functioning as a church unless that one person is Jesus Christ. God's flock. It belongs to God. Therefore, do the work. Now, Peter sets it up in three little pairings. Don't do it under compulsion, do it willingly. Don't do it for shameful gain, do it eagerly. Don't be domineering, but be an example. First, don't be under compulsion. And this has always fascinated me. I have met men who claim to be elders for the people of God, the flock of God, and you, you talk to them and it becomes very apparent they don't like people. They don't like their church. I don't get that. If you don't like sheep, don't be a shepherd. If you don't like your congregation, what are you doing there? Doesn't make sense. Don't do this under compulsion, but willingly. Now, folks, let's be clear. I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. I would love to tell you that over the last 28 years, I have always done pastoral ministry with this noble sentiment. But lying's never good. It's not always noble. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. A perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. 
Duty is only a substitute for love. Did you get that? Duty is only a substitute for love of God and other people, like a crutch is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need a crutch at times, but of course it's idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs can do the journey on their own. Don't do it under compulsion. Don't do it for shameful gain. This shows up several times. 1 Peter 3, 3, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. This is qualifications for an elder. Not quarrelsome, finally, not a lover of money. 2 Timothy 3, 2, people, talks about the end. People be lovers of self, lovers of money. That's a mark of unfaithfulness. Titus 1, 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain not domineering. Misuse of power destroys both the flock and the shepherd. I've often counseled single women that if the fellow pursuing you, his conversation is always about who's going to be in charge, who's going to lead, who's going to be the head, I won't say it immediately, but I would at least have the track shoes on. If you're more interested in who's in charge than who's in love, something ain't quite kosher. Far too often, my observation is, that's a little martinet of a man who's dying to boss somebody around. Well, I think it's a conversation to have, but if it's the main conversation or the frequent conversation, this may not be the guy. Let me make a further application. If a prospective elder is always raising the question of authority, authority, pastoral authority, that's probably a time to step back and reconsider. I know some of you say, well, no, preacher, the, there is authority. There is. We read it earlier, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. But that authority, hear me, clearly taught in Scripture, is limited to things which Scripture commands and have to do with living as believers in the context of a local congregation. A good shepherd doesn't seek to be obeyed in anything beyond what Scripture commands and expects of believers. I say that because I know a pastor who took it upon himself to matchmake in his church. I can't begin to tell you the disaster that sowed. Who'd have thought? Anywhere from one to seven years into those marriages, those couples were having problems. That's one thing to get pastoral advice. It's one thing to ask for a sense of, you think this is a good idea or not? Oh, brothers and sisters, I don't want it on my conscience to go around and say, well, now you 
ought to get together this one. This will make one. I don't know anybody that well. Outside of my own marriage. I'll say it this way, and I'm quoting from another brother. A pastor who exalts himself as a ruler is an unbearable anomaly. A flock which views its shepherd as a slave is destined for spiritual disaster. The sins here are sloth and greed and power. If you're going to be a shepherd, an elder, you do the work. You do it for the right reason. You do it for the right aim. And you do it as an under-shepherd. Not a king, not a lord, not a master. Finally, leaders... Leaders are not only encouraged by the apostle engaged in the work. Finally, leaders are to be emboldened by the reward. Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd. Wow. He cares for his flock more than even the faithful under-shepherds care for the flock. And here, here's the glorious truth here, folks. I, I believe we got great elders here at church, but I'll let you in on a little secret about them, okay? They don't think about you all the time. They've been known to sleep. They've been known to have family obligations. They've been known to have jobs. They've been known to have hobbies. They can't give you 24-7. But there's one who can and does. The great shepherd's always looking after his people. See, this to me, and I, as I read this at Graveside Friday, far too often we reduce the 23rd Psalm to nothing more than a psalm about dying. But brothers and sisters, while it is that, it is more than that. David who had lived as shepherd and now lives as king, pens these words because he knows himself. And how does he begin? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you who, the shepherd, is with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Further, Jesus gives himself the same name. John chapter 10, twice. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. God have mercy on any under-shepherd that gets between the great shepherd and the sheep. That is not good news. When the chief shepherd appears... Fellow elders, 
crown of unfading glory. I pondered that. I don't know what it was. Something just kept getting my attention as I was reading that. <laughs> and and it, it finally began to dawn on me. I think there's something here. First of all, shepherds are not known for having crowns. Right? You don't see crowns on the heads of shepherds. That just doesn't happen. Shepherds don't expect crowns. But Peter knew of one shepherd who had worn a crown, right? He, he could look back to David. But he, he advances the idea and application under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to those who shepherd the flock of God. And he makes the parallel. He connects himself as fellow elder, but he connects all of us as shepherds to the chief shepherd. And he says, the chief shepherd, the true son of David, who dies in suffering and apparent obscurity, who is raised from the dead and ascended on high, is the king of the universe, has truly been given a crown, and he will grant to his other under-shepherds the unfading crown of glory. Wow. Those who reflect the same self-sacrificing labor, who willingly, eagerly, and humbly care for his flock, especially in a time of suffering, he will give a crown to the great shepherd when he returns for his people. Church, I pray that you, as you pray before our Lord and Savior, that you actually take time to give thanks to the elders among you who look after you, who care for your souls. I pray that there is thanksgiving in your heart for that gift. Fellow shepherds, my brother elders, thank God for the privilege to do this. I mean that. Thank God for the privilege to do this. We are imitating an apostolic model and we are imitating the chief shepherd. And we don't get it all right all the time. We battle our own issues as we pursue sanctification. We struggle in our own settings to do all that we should do. We seek to care for the church of the living God. But my brothers, hear me, and I look at this congregation, and this is so much in mind and heart, I think we are coming to a time of persecution, of antagonism, the likes of which we have never seen in this country. And it is going to be absolutely essential that we as shepherds do our task, possibly at great cost. And, O oh church, do not treat with contempt what God gives so freely. I know it's not hard to find fault with any of us. The issue is not perfection. The issue is faithfulness. And if there's faithfulness, there ought to be thanksgiving.
and a longing to function together as the people of God. Finally, my brothers and sisters, hear that glorious promise. The chief shepherd is going to appear. And he is coming to get his people. May that be the hope that anchors us securely. Let's pray.